Now? Now. Okay. <laughs> Go. On your mark, get set. Talk. How many Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Mind Virus <laughs> show. Uh, I'm Jordan Bruno. You are Jordan Bruno. I'm Bobby Flood. <clears throat> and this is the Mind Virus podcast. Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. It's Mayday today. Yep. For May 1st. Protests are going on in France <clears throat> over their uh uh, pension reform that the president of France just unilaterally rammed through against I, everybody's uh, is that the one opposition. that raises the pension age from sixty two to sixty four something like that. The Frenchies are really good at striking. Yeah, and it's actually quite an admirable quality when you consider that governments are I think pretty it corrupt. Was, I think it was Elon Musk responded or replied on Twitter to an article about that. And he said, is this just about raising the pension age a couple of years? And somebody replied and said, the French are very passionate about not working. <laughs> Something like that. And I, I don't know if there's more to it or if that's just it. But it seems like, especially in the summertime, there's always some big protests or riots in, in France. They, they do like to protest. I think... What what what's uh, the bigger picture here is that if you set up a socialist society and you make the promises and then break the promises, people get angry, right? And that's the problem with uh, teaching the false reality that government can do all this stuff for us, right? You know, right? Because uh, the the French people engaged in good faith with the system. Right. And, they, and they, they worked there four or five months a year for, <laughs> for, for 10 or 15 years, and now they want to retire. <laughs> uh, and that's the problem with socialism is, yeah, people expect that they get to have a certain standard of living with a certain level of commitment or work, mm -hmm. you know, or effort. Now, on the flip side, I think I don't. I, I think we do it a little backwards here in the U.S. too. I think we are workaholics in the U.S. And I think we, especially with the technological advancements nowadays, and I, I think we could work. There's an old cliche, right? Work smarter, not harder. But uh, I think there's some truth behind it too. I, uh, maybe a silver lining out of the, all of the COVID pandemic was that more employees are able to work from home nowadays and set kind of their own schedules. And I think that's a healthy thing for the most part. Well, I think one of the unfortunate side effects of a free market coupled with statism is that certain, and then technology is that certain entities or, or companies get an unfair advantage and then they via competition, move everybody out or not via competition, via regulation. Mm -hmm. They, and unfair competition, you know, like uh, unfair competitive pricing, right? Lowering prices, then raising prices when your competition's been destroyed. <laughs> those, those are the types of things that the Sherman Antitrust Act was supposed to protect against. And so, uh, 
monopoly capitalism, which is really the name of the game, is is not healthy for anybody. Remember when Tesla was first kind of breaking into the market and uh, you had to order, if you wanted one back then, you had to order it online basically because they were here in the great state of Utah, you're not allowed to have a Tesla dealership because the existing dealer... They have a cartel. Cartel. They have a certain set of requirements for car yeah. dealers. And, and, and that's changed. You can have physical Tesla dealerships now. But back then, a couple of prominent car dealer families here in the great state of Utah yeah. were able to prevent that. Well, we have, we have a lot of legal cartels created by uh, statute hospitals well yeah doctors first of all you know you got anything that requires licensing cosmetologists you you, you ever think about that like you literally have to jump through their initiatory hoops in order to cut somebody's hair and take take payment right is that a well what is think of all the bad haircuts if people weren't licensed i mean (laughs) you know how many bad haircuts i've had from licensed professionals well, think about all the medical malpractice. I mean, it it just scales up in in uh, orders of magnitude. <clears throat> Luckily, seriousness. Haircuts are not a big concern for me anymore. I get, I get my haircut. There's one possible style. I think you're disclosing too much. <clears throat> Somebody on the street might pick you out of a crowd at this point. I am the only bald mid guy in his mid forties. <laughs> <laughs> On Instagram, (laughs) (laughs) on Twitter. But but yeah, I mean, I remember uh, for a while there, there, maybe it was during the Obama administration, there was like crackdowns on kids selling lemonade on the street corner because they were not licensed. They didn't have their food handlers permits and stuff like that. It's like, are you, are you people insane? Oh, wait. Yes. Yes, they are. You know, the, the one that's really maddening is the real estate law. Like you got these realtors. And they totally have a cartel. No offense to you good realtors out there, but if you, if you somehow get a listing, right? Let, like, I know it's a competitive world, but let's say you get a listing and you show a home 30 times and somebody ends up paying uh, what, a million dollars for that house? Okay. Is it really worth $60,000? Is that is that a sixty thousand dollar job? Because that's where we're that's right. where we're headed. They take a six percent commission, right? And they're and they're pretty serious about that. Sometimes a five percent, two and a half, you know, yeah, split, we, uh, split between various parties. The the showing agent for this uh, bunker, yes, was quite upset when we hired an agent on our side. Because he was dragging our feet. He was dragging his feet. We were trying to buy the place, basically. Like, and you know, you shut up get, and take you our money. Couldn't get any action. Couldn't get any, any action until we hired an agent on our side to get things moving and shaking. And he was quite mad because that meant that 6% was split. Yeah. And he was thinking he was going to get the whole thing because right. you were working with him. Right. Of course, he couldn't be bothered. Right. So in, in, in some sense, they kind of act as an advocate to navigate through all the legal. Sure, I get that. But what, right. what's it really worth? Right. There's, this, right. there's this norm that it's... 
Maybe if maybe I mean, some, are attorneys worth three hundred and fifty dollars an hour, or four hundred and fifty dollars an hour? What are they charging these days with inflation? I can only imagine um, the attorneys I, around here are charging what a thousand dollars an hour. You know, there, there's a lot of them in our uh, direct vicinity. We could ask. We could ask them and what they're charging. Yeah, if they're actually, I, and, I, and I they bet they will they tell you and then send it. you a bill <laughs> <laughs> in six minute increments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you see that in anything like. It can be kind of expensive to go get your car fixed because the guy's a specialist or your bicycle or, um, you know, we, I used to joke, I had this running joke when I was younger that, uh, you'd go to the car stereo place to get a new stereo installed and you'd show up and the guy'd be like, what can I do for you? Well, I'm here to get a new stereo. All right. Well, that's $10 for answering your question now. (laughs) And they just charge you for every little thing and you end up just paying an arm and a leg just to have a stereo put into your car because they have the knowledge that you don't have. And that's the idea with doctors and dentists and anybody else, right? They have specialized knowledge that you lack and they can provide you something that you need at a premium price. Now, of course, all that's been perverted because of the, the, uh, the monopoly and, and the cartel-like industry of it, and it inflates the egos. And we saw during COVID how absolutely egotistical some of the quote-unquote frontline workers acted. Uh, the, uh, the dancing nurse videos came up again on Twitter and kind of a post-mortem, people talking about those and what they really meant, why they happened. Remember, some of those were very highly, highly produced with drones and cameras on rails and, and clearly a lot of rehearsal involved. These weren't just spontaneous things with people recording on their phones. These had some high-end production value. Yeah. I'm still convinced that they were... That's part, part of the propaganda machine, right? There. Right. I, I don't think a lot of them were actual healthcare workers. I think they were dancers, maybe mixed in with some local nurses or something. And I think it was like a ritual, like a... Uh, so like the, the CIA hired a bunch of people to go around to different hospitals and, and put these out uh, with their influence operations over social media? Maybe. I mean, the, the, the White House did one... Um. The Biden White House did one with uh, these nurses performing, and all of them were masked except one who was singing. Hmm. It was weird, and it it was all so weird. And I I honestly think it was like a—it was almost like they were dancing on the dead. Like, yeah. Do you think maybe they were they were also trying to fulfill the prophecy they created in the 2012 London Olympics opening ceremonies, where they did the whole? Health and Human Services, right? Uh, or the Health Ministry? I get, they're all ministries over there. They're right. all ministering in the in the uh, <laughs> British government. It's like we're we're ministering. Yeah, that that opening ceremony is bizarre. You have this Corona virus shaped stadium, the lighting and stuff, and yeah. then you have all the sick kids in the beds and the Grim Reaper demons working Voldemort, through. Voldemort, whatever. Yeah, it kind of had a Harry Potter twist. And then the healthcare workers saving the kids mm-hmm. from this from this death. It was all choreographed. So then when you, right. get, when you get all the dancing in 2020. Yeah, the, those dancing nurses are something that is, was, was in the moment very bizarre, and, and looking back, extra bizarre, given that 
everything. So much about the pandemic was performance art. Well, you, you bring up a good point relative to the dancing and ritual because dancing has traditionally been part of ritual since ancient times. Right. You know, the, the word chorus um, comes from the Greek. It's actually kind of related to a prayer circle type of a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's um, the chanting that the sort of the watching right. angels <laughs> would do relative to the players in the play you know, as they chant the the narrative mm-hmm. and um, dance around and do all that stuff, uh, there's uh, the the circle dance. It, it, in fact, that that you know, ritualistic circle, circular um, prayer type of a thing. Uh, what we call it that ritual. What's the word I'm looking for here? Religious expression uh-huh. or spiritual expression is often referred to by scholars as the circle dance of the angels, you know? So there's evidence in, uh, in our history that very clearly links that type of activity to ritual. So your, uh, <laughs> your observation that these are paid actors or dancers whatever that are they're performing this who's who's doing this ritual what are they trying to achieve what's their yeah you, you get what i'm saying and, yeah, what, what, what are they after? and that's a big question and you look back in hindsight and it, it's like it, it was almost like they were like i said kind of dancing on the dead because hospitals <clears throat> hospitals are kind of these they're almost like uh, uh waypoints like they're people lives begin and end in hospitals and they tend to i think at least generally speaking they tend to be quiet kind of reverent places because people who are there who are sick and dying and on the mend and then then you know you kind of have the maternity wing where there's more there's life uh, coming into the life. World, it's a little more cheery at times. It's but, like Grand Central Station for spirits. <laughs> right. And, you know, remember we were told over and over and over for the better part of two and a half years that the hospitals are full and they're overwhelmed. The initial logic behind the shutdowns and the two weeks to slow the spread was to, <clears throat> was to mitigate the rush on hospitals, right? It was to give the hospitals time to prepare. And there was, was nobody in the hospitals. And they were empty. I mean, they were empty. And I actually, the other day, I tried to look up hospital census data, like current capacity for local hospitals. And I couldn't, I couldn't find what I was looking for, but I was on my phone and those websites never work very well on phones. Because I wanted to see now that, you know, we're sort of back to quote unquote normal, the new normal, <clears throat> I wanted to see what the numbers looked like. Because at the time, you know, even the governor, both Herbert and Cox t- talked a lot about the hospitals being overwhelmed. And you had the IHC spokespeople. That's the Intermountain Health Cartel. I think that's what IHC stands for. Yeah, I think you're technically accurate. There. And they've changed their name. They dropped the HC. I think they're just Intermountain now, but they're still a cartel. But they, they were out there saying, you know, we're on the brink and we're at capacity and there's no more beds. And I just thought, yeah, right. 
And of course, you can look up these numbers. They're out there. They're public mm-hmm. information. But that was the initial impetus for the whole thing was to slow the spread to help to not overwhelm our healthcare systems. And of course they never got overwhelmed. There's, you know, we're kind of recapping some things here, but remember the, we probably linked to it. One of our first episodes of a guy going into some of the New York city hospitals saying, where's all the dead people? Where's all the bodies? Yeah. And and the streets were deserted. You know, people are not coming in. They're not going out. You would think, especially this was at the time, New York city was like the epicenter, right? Yeah. and there should be a lot of activity. There should People be were really dropping like flies. Cars lined up at the emergency room, ambulances coming and going, and it was dead quiet. It was eerie. Yeah. Well, it turns out all the people were locked in old folks' homes. Right. And that's where they were dying. Right. Out there on the <clears throat> East Coast, at least. And, the, and a lot of people who did go to the hospital sick were made worse and even killed by ventilators and remdesivir. Run, death is near. <laughs> So, yeah, we, we've kind of, uh, it, it's just interesting that recently there's been a lot of revisionist history from public health officials like our friend, Anthony Fauci. Yeah, you were telling me, he's now out, and, and again, we're talking about cartels here and licensing, um, just to remind us where this tangent <laughs> right. came from, right. but Weren't you saying he's now out trying to deflect a little bit of the energy? Like, we we can't do your Fauci voice. We can't. We can't uh, really blame everyone for. Yeah, he's like we 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 can't just be playing the blame game. It's like, well, yeah, we can. It's not a game. Yeah, if you would have left us alone, we could leave you alone for your opinions. But you affected our lives. (laughs) You know, just revisionist history. You have the. President of the, of the uh, you want to talk about cartels, the president of the teachers union, the ATF, who donated lots of money to Spencer Cox, by the way. The ATF, what does that stand for? Um, no, no, not the ATF. Okay. <laughs> Cause I th- I th- uh, what's the teachers union called? The big one. The one in Utah is the UEA. Right, but this is the national one. This, this woman is the president of that. The NEUA? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the National Educators I, I, I Utah's to, Association. Anyway, I, I could look it up. I'll look it up. You keep talking. She's out there. I think her name's Randy Won't Won't Happen or something like that. Randy It's the NEA, the National Education yeah. Association. And that's the union that donated a lot to Spencer Cox. Kid Masker uh Spencer Cox. She's out there saying, I always wanted schools open. And of course, she's on the record saying things like schools need to stay closed until it's safe. And of course, it was always safe. And uh, the state of Utah proved that. Schools in the state of Utah reopened in the fall of 2020 with some, with some uh, uh, precautions put in place. The kids were forced to mask every day. It was funny because I, I spent a lot of time at the high school. and. Those kids wore their masks around their chin. That's where, they, as soon as they, yeah, it was unless, a, big, a big charade, right? Unless somebody was forcing them to pull them up, they wore them down below their nose and around their chin. And as soon as they were out of school, they ripped those things off. It's a big charade. And it's also funny because these are high school, <clears throat> these are high school kids, perhaps the most social demographic on the planet. 
Mm-hmm. They're always with friends. Mm-hmm. They're making out. They're <laughs> hugging. They're sharing drinks. Swapping mono. They're <laughs> and, and they didn't stop doing those types of things during this time. And yet there was no, there was no uh, crisis of teenagers keeling over. What's, what's interesting about the, con- the conversation with this uh, union boss is that it was on CNN. Right, and like she actually anchor, got... The anchor was calling her out. The anchor was mad. So you got the who, why, and why now angle on that. We also have uh, some Epstein revelations we wanted to talk about today. But uh, we weren't, you know, the cartels always get you down. So we had to dedi- dedicate at least a little bit of time to, well, I think, I think to talking about these it, legal cartels. I think it's important to look at these as cartels because cartel has a very negative connotation in our society, primarily because of Mexican, Colombian drug cartels. That's the, that's the association. But these, these organizations exist in your own communities and they basically have unchecked uh, influence and power. I mean, here in Utah, IHC has a competitor or two, but they're small and just sort of there to make I think sure they're they, over over half of the hospitals are IHC. Right. The 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 quote unquote competitors basically exist so that IHC can can get away with their Murder. monopoly. Murder. <laughs> but yeah, IHC is also a not for profit. Which is another angle that they're taking right, on this whole thing. Right. And we have to be careful because these cartels have tremendous influence and power over our our existence. I mean, you have media cartels, right? Google is one. Uh, Apple. You, you think about Google and Apple are two companies that make 99% of all of the smartphones. Well, Samsung and well, other, right, co- other but, companies. Well, Google make runs the operating Motorola, system. Nokia, yeah. But the operating system is the important part. Right, it runs through Google. That's the part that Android. sends your data to the to the Bluffdale data center. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you you're right. So the Android operating system and the and the Mac operating system. They're Microsoft. This is this is how bad their cartel is. Microsoft tried to break into it and gave up. Yeah, Microsoft, you remember went through there's there's old tapes of Bill Gates, a young Bill Gates sitting through hearings in like the late 90s. Um antitrust hearings and he doesn't carry himself very well. He looks like a he's obviously gone through some media reformation. And of course, after those hearings is when Bill Gates started to rebuild his public image Mm -hmm. and started the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and and started rebrand himself as a philanthropist instead of a monopolist. Well, yeah, if you don't remember, the thing with uh, Bill Gates in the 90s was that they were packaging Microsoft Internet Explorer with their operating system and sort of playing dirty tricks on all the free web browsers mm-hmm. that, that had built the internet to that point. And so they gained undue market share because of that. Right. Well, you know, I guess the powers that be didn't really like that because they had the CIA seed money to Google and uh, Google becomes a monopoly and then creates the Chrome browser, which now has most of the... Um, market share on web browsing. Right. So there must must have been some sort of a disagreement behind the scenes at the secret combination annual meeting. And Bill Gates just pivoted to vaccines and he said recently <laughs> oh, that ha, ha, ha. vaccines has been one of the best investments he's ever made. 
which is Take easy. That, CIA. It's easy to make those investments when uh, the cartels are uh, enforcing. You know, the biggest cartel, of course, is government. Yeah, and the gov- they have a, they have what we call the monopoly on legal violence. Right. Yeah, the the government can show up to your door, bust it down, shoot your dog, arrest you, and haul you off. Take your stuff and take your if, family. If, take your life. If later you're found innocent, they can just say, "Oops." Oops. We have legal immunity. We thought we had probable cause, we, you know. Yeah. Go ahead, sue us. It was a We ty- have unlimited it a, attorneys. It was a typo in the warrant. We have unlimited attorneys and we own the judges. So, yeah, that's a that's a tricky situation. Anyway, speaking of the CIA, uh it turns out that what's the guy's name? A guy named Burns. Mr. William Miss, Mr. William Burns. Mr. Burns. Montgomery Burns is the guy, that, the, the main Burns that we... <laughs> Montgomery Burns bears a striking similarity in looks <laughs> to a, a guy that's well-known in Utah. Um, but yeah, turns out Burns, this is something we were talking about before the podcast. Burns is a current CIA director. He had several meetings with Jeffrey Epstein when he was uh, Obama's deputy secretary of state. Who? Obama? Jeffrey who? Oh, Jeffrey Epstein, a guy who uh, committed suicide while in prison. Oh, he's the guy that hung himself from a three-foot bed with a sheet. Yeah. Yeah, that happened After he was, uh, got in trouble for child sex, or young, trafficking young women is essentially what it was. For the third time. Well, that was like the third official time. (laughs) Right. And as you all know, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, but uh, he had all these ties to all these very high-level people and would take them to his private island where they were recording you, blackmail material. Did you notice the wording in the article? This is Washington. This is Wall Street Journal article. Wall Street we'll Journal. Link to it. They, they give a little, you know, brief on who Epstein is. Is it Epstein or Stein? Epstein. I think I've heard it said Epstein. By the way, a shout out to our friend TBM who forwarded us this content. The wording is there something like, Mr. Epstein died in prison after what the coroner said was suicide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Wall Street Journal even is like right, it's tongue very, in cheek. It's very tricky. Yeah, tongue in cheek. <laughs> this article is behind a paywall, but the archive version of it reads, you know, you can, and I'm trying to find that. Yeah, we'll try to find a link to... Uh, we've got a link. I don't know if that will destroy TBM's account if we put that up online. <clears throat> Zero Hedge did a little synopsis of it. There's two. The, it, it, there's there's one really really key point though in in these revelations, and that's that powerful people are involved with this Epstein fellow extensively. Like, not not just power pe- powerful people met with him. They met with him often. Yeah, like three or four times a year for years. Right. Like there's a lady named Catherine Rummler who had dozens of meetings um, with Epstein in the years after her White House service. So she was, let's see if I can find. um, She worked with the Obama administration, I believe, and now is in media. Well, Well, she's also the, like a head attorney for Goldman Sachs. Right. Of, currently of like 2008 housing crisis fame 
Okay. Yeah, you want to talk about cartels? Again? People that people that helped fund um, Zion's bank when they needed money. If if you happen to live yeah. in Utah, that might be related to you. Also, a place where a former presidential and Senate candidate and CIA spook Evan McMullen worked. Yeah. So. Uh, Rumler was a White House counsel. She's an attorney. She was a White House counsel under Barack Obama and um, became the top lawyer at Goldman Sachs in 2020. So there's a spider web of connections between this guy and very, very influential people. Quick clarification. Randy Weingarten, that's the union boss, is the president of the AFT, American Federation of Teachers, and and member of the AFL-CIO. But she's uh so so that's where I got ATF from. AFT is the union, American okay. Federation of Teachers. Good. And, and uh, she went on CNN, and the CNN host was not having it. He said, "Speaking on behalf of millions of American parents, I had to teach them at home." Jennings said, "That's the Scott Jennings is the host." This is him again. My wife had to teach them at home. I am stunned at what you have said this week about your claiming to have wanted to reopen schools. Um, and, and there she, are millions of parents who feel the same way, right? And Yeah, and, and he had talked about, I think, some special needs kids that he has that weren't in classrooms and environments that were designed to them for them. Now, isn't he kind of second string? Maybe he... Was he off the reservation maybe, there? Maybe. Or is the or is the narrative changing? Because we got to ask the questions: Who, why, and why now? Right. right. That's today. Who, why, and why now? Who, why, and why now on the Epstein stuff? And why maybe, are they Why are they revealing all the Epstein calendar stuff now? Maybe the union's getting ready to replace this this woman. Maybe they're trying to clean house and get people in there that don't have the dirt on their hands from the COVID years. Maybe. I mean, even even. Um, Fidel Castro's son, Justin Trudeau, is saying, I never forced anybody. I never forced the shot on anybody. It's like, hold on a second, buddy. Maybe you personally didn't hold them down, but you forced the shot on people. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, continue on with uh, the the, uh, calendar, the Epstein calendar. I just saw that and wanted to clarify. Well, okay, so some other people that he met with... um, well, it came out that he had donated like $9 million to the Harvard endowment. He's donated a lot of money to, to Harvard. Um, Harvard has some, some ties to, to Epstein for sure. Did he go there? I think he went there. I don't know. But of course, that's sort of a revolving door <clears throat> for, for your um, high-level elitist, statist folks that run, run all these uh, think tanks. Uh, they end up in Fortune 500 Wall Street companies. They they end up in the administrations of presidents. You know, well, that's where a lot of government experiments happened. Um, Jeffrey, or sorry, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, went to Harvard as a teenager. Mm. He was a math genius, genius and yeah. uh, he went there as a teenager, which would be a really hard thing to do. Um, this, there, the, you know, a teenager in in college would have no social life. I mean, nobody would want to hang out with the 16-year-old because uh, he couldn't participate in any of the things that college kids like to do, you know? He couldn't drink. He couldn't have sex. He couldn't 
dri- he can't even drive. <laughs> he couldn't have sex. You know, um, <laughs> but they experimented on him at Harvard. Basically, it was MK Ultra style, if not actually MK Ultra uh, experimentations, which probably really screwed him up and maybe led to his just, actions later in life. I just have to say, I think there's a bunch of 16 year olds out there listening saying, hey, we can drink and have sex. Well, what, what is your uh, problem, Flood? <laughs> That's exactly why I went to Harvard early. <laughs> anyway, I, I think it would have been really hard. I think it would be hard to be a, a college prodigy. You well, know. The, the point is that Harvard probably pr- creates a, has an environment where that's more uh, doable, right? For right. a kid that is super smart. He's going to get all the attention that he needs, even if he's a, a few years out of the social milieu. Right. Well, anyway, the, 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 the point is he was intellectually, uh, mentally, emotionally abused while he was at Harvard mm-hmm. by the institution. Itself, by, uh, perhaps groomed for something. Right. So Epstein donated like almost a million dollars to MIT, but it was more that went to Harvard. And these are like, I think on the scale, they're you know, 9.1 million to Harvard and, and 850,000 to MIT. That's not that much money based on what Epstein was in, involved in, but it's like he's right. clearly cultivated a network of highly influential people and institutions. Uh, Noam Chomsky's on the list here. Yeah, his response to all this was awesome. Yeah, none of your business? None of your business, and also, yeah, I knew him and we met frequently. Interesting, huh? <laughs> uh, you had a guy that uh, named... Uh, Let's see. Leon Botstein, president of Bard College, which is, I think, a prestigious liberal arts, performing arts type of a college, if, if I've gathered this right. Their tagline on their website says that Bard College offers the best of both worlds, a traditional liberal arts college with exceptional programs in fine and performing arts in small classes, dot, 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 dot. It's in New York. Um, yeah, and I think, I think they had said they, they cut off ties when they learned more about him. I'm not well, sure. Well, everybody says that. Everybody right? says that. I mean, even, even Bill Gates, who met with him dozens of times, like, well, I cut off ties as soon as it became socially unacceptable. And <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, what was it? Uh, Catherine Rumler, the attorney who had a ton of meetings with him, Goldman Sachs was... Uh, had a spokesman talking for her and um, said something like, Mrs. Rumler didn't see anything that would lead her to be concerned at the townhouse and didn't express any concern. And, you know, regret, concern they about, regret, they regret uh, meeting with him or whatever. There's always expressing apparent, regret. Apparently it was like, hey, does having young girls around bother you? Like, basically, are you going to snitch? Because they would go to his apartment in Manhattan for these meetings where he would have some of these captive girls, basically, these trafficked girls working as uh, quote-unquote <clears throat> assistants. assistants. Yeah. And she was like, no, nothing there bothered me. So maybe she didn't see the women or just didn't, you know, it was like a don't ask, don't tell kind of arrangement. When you've got these, these <clears throat> comments about like uh, Epstein connects Rumler with Ariane de Rothschild, Current CEO of the private, uh, the Swiss private bank, Edmund de Rothschild Group, and um, you've got these uh, 
conversations back and forth like uh, Epstein asks Miss de Rothschild in an email for help finding a new assistant, quote, female, multilingual, organized. And she says, I'll ask around. Right. It's like, you can't make this stuff up. Like all the, all of the conspiratorial names are involved. Yeah. With this. The Gettys, the Rothschilds <laughs> and Colonel Sanders before he went teats up. Right. It's referencing, of course, uh, so I married an ax murderer. It's always interesting because there's, there's news about Epstein always sort of trickles out. You remember um, his partner there? Uh, what was her name? Maxwell? Ghislaine? Whatever happened Gislaine, to her, Ghislaine. Right? Like, whatever happened to her? Well, she's uh, quietly in prison, I think. Right. Probably a soft security prison, I would guess. Who knows? A country she club? She had a trial. It, this should have been the trial of the century. Remember how many people watched Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? Remember the O.J. Simpson trial? Right. These things were huge media events. Like last summer, people were obsessed with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. I watched a lot of it mainly because it was like, it was like watching a, a train wreck full of clowns <laughs> on the trains. Like it was absurd. And the circus crashed. Like, the, like Amber Heard's lawyer was just terrible, like totally unprepared, incompetent. It was, it was amazing. It was big time TV. This Maxwell trial should have been bonkers because of the people allegedly and you know implied. Well, it had and all, yet it was just swept it, away. It had all the ingredients, right? You've right. got conspiracy, intrigue, <clears throat> right? Spy games type of stuff. You've got the sex, the trafficking, right? Mm-hmm. The girls. You've got uh, children in peril. You have uh, murder. You know, people who've died under suspicious circumstances and, of course, uh, forced suicide, an involuntary suicide, which, you know, everybody, that's the stuff movies are made of. So this is like made for primetime. Like the the ratings uh, fest would have been massive had they paid any attention to it. Yeah. So why isn't it? A, a massive story. <laughs> Do you want to take a crack at that? Right, right. <laughs> so that's what makes, I think, the uh, the Wall Street Journal article and the revelations about all the uh, other stuff going on so significant. It's like, oh, and by the way, what you knew about Epstein and, and the people involved like Prince Andrew and Bill Clinton... That w- and Bill Gates, that was just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, that was like 3% of the connections to the inner circles of Wall Street, Fortune 500, and governments, especially the American government. All these cartels. Like Epstein had his, his network you know, tangled up in all of the major cartels, all the major industries, media, government, intelligence, Entertainment. Was he into medicine somehow? Do we have links <clears throat> to uh, Anthony Fauci anywhere? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, may, maybe not directly, but I don't know. I mean, uh, but there's lots of lots of people from all walks of industry are have have been implicated in in this in this story in so, one way or another. Yeah, the journal is sort of implying that Epstein was running a Mossad honeypot operation. You would care to comment on that? 
Um, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that that's been that that's been the speculation about Epstein for a long time is that he was CIA or Mossad, which is the Israeli version of the CIA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Ghislaine Maxwell's father was probably Mossad. Mm-hmm. He was mysteriously uh, fell off, felled off of a side of a yacht. Was the 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 way he accidentally died? Oh, really? I think his name was Robert. Um, little side note had a had a big part in funding Mitt Romney's first uh, financial venture. Does he sell a buffalo into Ukraine? Uh, he might. He might. <laughs> That's apparently something you can do if you're in yeah, these circles. Yeah, you can you can trade buffalo. You can trade Mon- trade Montana buffalo to Ukraine for a, a child. Okay, so uh, and then you can buy a castle in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, and just start up a, a social media web presence or whatever, telling your story. <clears throat> anyway, what 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 does this look like to you? I mean, is this just is this? I'm going to just throw out my idea here. Is, is it is it basically uh, what we're seeing is evidence of how they keep people in line, like because all these people are linked. They all talk to each other. They all attend the same events you know there's tons of them right that's that's part of the problem is you you got washington which is vast tons and tons of people contribute to managing this government and they're not all pulling the levers some of them have more power than others and they're not all in on the in the know in fact i would say that there's a, a very few that are really in the know as far as what policies they're um executing the the actions that they're actually executing relative to their plans for the world. That's always been the kind of the elevator pitch on Epstein, right? He was a guy who entrapped important people, took them to his island or his apartment or wherever, where these people were filmed, allegedly photographed uh, in compromising positions, let's say that, compromising scenarios, and then said, oh, we've got you now. Even if the acts, let's say they didn't go there and have uh, sex with minors. Let's say that didn't happen, but the, well, my the, question the, is- the, the photos or the video could imply that they were, they were present with trafficked yeah. people. And then they've got this on them and say, now you're ours. You have to do what we say or these get leaked to the public. So I'm wondering I if think, that if, I think if that's if, too simple. Well, I'm I'm wondering if both of those types of things were going on. Number one, they they were entrapping people to start with, or is it more likely that Clinton, every, the people knew, right? Like, does Clinton not know what he's getting into when he takes a flight with Epstein? I think he knows, I, and then it it becomes uh, what F- Catherine Austin Fitz called a control file, meaning that if if somebody starts to uh, go in a direction we don't want them to go. We've got this on them in addition to all this other stuff. Like we're going to bury you. I think it's, uh, I think some of these people might've gotten tricked, but I think a lot of them are weird, disgusting people and they like going with Jeffrey Epstein. It's like, I, we're, I, I mean, like they Clint, would look forward Clinton's, to it. Clint, Clinton was like, what is it? Like 30 something times he, he's on know. their flight records. I don't know. I'll look it up. You keep talking. I mean, you have you have certain people that have multiple uh, 
they show up multiple times in the flight logs. Clinton is like dozens. And we all know that Bill Clinton's a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a, of a slime ball. And, uh, a bit, do you want to, <laughs> I mean, then you, then you start getting into sort of like the pizza gate aspect of all of this and, and it can get really dark and sinister. And what does the pizza thing mean? That's like a symbol for that people are into child, child, uh, sex, Jeez. pedophilia. The, the idea is that the, the term cheese pizza, that's CP, stand, uh, was, a, was a euphemism for child porn, I think. But I, it's been a minute since I've looked into that. But basically, it was, you know, the, you have like the Clinton emails that were leaked revealed a, a lot of weird kind of coded language. People thought it was coded language between Hillary and Obama and, and John Podesta and others ordering, you know, hot dogs and cheese pizza to parties. And, and there's, of course, the, this Comet Pizza place in uh, Washington, D.C. It's just weird because the owner was uh, very influential in D.C., which is kind of strange because why would a, pizza, a guy who owns a little pizza store in D.C. have any influence on anything? And then, and then, you know, how they killed that conspiracy was they had a, uh, in my opinion, a government asset showed up and fired off a few shots at the place. And now they're they, the, now they're the victim. Yeah. And they can say oh, a bunch of, bunch of, you know, nutty conspiracy theorists try to shoot the place up and then it's put to bed and everyone laughs at the pizza gate. So, so the records are unclear on who flew how often, but I just, I'm going to link to a Detroit <clears throat> News story here where they say that uh, the, uh, Trump flew on the uh, Epstein Express, whatever you want to call it, you know, eight or ten times. Uh, the, 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 the headline is sort of that Trump flew more often than they had previously realized. And I think and Trump then, acknowledged that but said he never went to the island, well, I, little you know, St. James. Have, did you ever do marijuana? Well, I didn't inhale. I didn't inhale. I mean, that's, that's the famous right. Bill Clinton, right. you know, back in the 90s or 1989, I guess, 1989, 1990, when uh, it, oh. was, it was uh, actually, it was, it was 90 and 91 when Clinton was campaigning for office. And that was a big deal because just a few years ago, or a few years before that in the 80s, a guy named uh, Hart, was it Gary Hart, was sort of laughed out of the political um, public sphere when he was running for president because he had had an affair. This is how far America... Yeah, think about how far we've This is how far we've, we've moved in the last 30 years. It was controversial that Bill Clinton smoked marijuana when he was in college. <laughs> and, and now you look at it, what, what's controversial nowadays and what isn't. It's, uh, we've come a long way and not in a good direction. Yeah. Gary Hart was the presumed Democratic presidential candidate in the spring of 88, he was going to run against uh, <clears throat> George Herbert Walker Bush, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he had had an affair. Right. I mean, just think about now Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky thing, you know. It was a huge scandal. Yeah. And now it would, it would just be brushed off. Like, I think, would it be brushed off? I mean, they tried to hammer Look, yeah. Trump with it, but his were more salacious. It was like, <clears> well, no, you, you had a porn star that you're paying off, or then the whole P-gate thing. Which, which a lot of that I don't too think salacious, Too salacious to even talk about on the radio. Right. 
but but it's like on family radio. I mean, you look at what what was uh, essentially brushed off with with Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. There's some pretty dirty, salacious things regarding Joe Biden's behavior with his own family. That well, not only that, but the Hunter Biden laptop has like right has <laughs> we have the videographic evidence right of of uh, some pretty nasty stuff. So, so we've come a long way, but yeah, so yeah, Bill Clinton famously said he, he had not tried marijuana because he didn't inhale because it was too obvious right. amongst his college and earlier in his earlier life, there'd be too many witnesses that had seen him smoking pot. So, right. And of course, in the long run, it's not that big of a deal for someone that is in college especially in the 60s, to well, try it was, marijuana. Well, it was if, as far as President of the United States went in, yes. went in 1990. In 1991, yeah. But now you have uh, like sitting presidents smoking pot. I think, I think Barack Obama was... They're going on the Joe Rogan show and taking a drag. <laughs> yeah, well, you got Elon Musk <clears throat> got high on Joe Rogan. Like, it's, it's just a different world. In some it ways, really is different. In some ways, it's better. In some ways, it's not. I saw some, I saw some old video from high school in the 1990s, which was when I was in high school. There's, there's like some Twitter channels out there, Twitter accounts that dig up these old videos, like shopping mall, Burbank, California, 1998 or something. Mm-hmm. Or 19, you know, and you look at it and you just think, <clears throat> you think that those were simpler times. Where, where the things that got us outraged, the things that we were arguing about in the political realm were uh, pretty benign by today's standards. I mean, remember Hillary Clinton, when she was first lady, had the big crusade against swear words in music and was instrumental, if I'm remembering right, in the... The rating system? The, the advisory sticker that was put on the CDs, right? Okay. And she wrote a book back then called It Takes a Village, you know, claiming ownership over your children. Yeah, that's what it took. <laughs> that's what they did. They got, the, right. they got the control over the village and bam, and here of, you are. And, and, and now look where we are, where now, that, now they're saying that you have no claim on the education or uh, upbringing or health care of your own children. Um, but things were different back then. The, 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 the controversy looks they all look kind of benign by today's standards, which again tells you how far we've, we've come and, and yeah. fallen. Well, and, and the, but the, but the uh, moral outrage at the Monica Lewinsky affair was, is really interesting because the media played it big time. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the backstory on that is that that's how Drudge, Matt Drudge got his start mm-hmm. is that he was the one that broke the Monica Lewinsky affair and none of the other networks would. So right. what, what, what we, if you remember that period of time, it was huge news, but all of that was feigned outrage on the part of the media because right. they wouldn't touch the story until Matt Drudge broke it. Right. And then he becomes one of the biggest names in uh, news media right up until after the 2016 election. And all of a sudden he, I mean, I don't check his website anymore because it just went- He's irrelevant. It went anti-Trump, but I mean, he had huge sway there. He could have- he could have uh, shifted the attitudes of a lot of people right there after Trump uh, got elected. He's widely known as somebody who didn't like the Clintons. 
famous, I think, for going on Alex Jones and saying, well, I just don't want to see Hillary Clinton's brain in a jar running the country, right? Because <laughs> that's what he, he thought she was on her, on her way out. Um, I mean, she, she collapsed a few times on the campaign trail. Right. Again, the, the, another aspect of that oh, whole election that got swept under the rug. Yeah. Like her health at the time was terrible. I don't know if it was just stress. Or Do you remember the Jimmy Kimmel episode where they had her open a jar of pickles to prove her vitality? No. <laughs> okay. So, so literally, I think it was Kimmel. Um, she's on late night television and the the uh, host is lobbing up these softballs for her because nobody, of none of the media people really expected Trump to win. And, and didn't real. I don't think that the oligarchy realized the extent of the populist outrage in America at the time. Right. And so the guy's asking her, well, there've been some questions about your health and your, your strength and all that stuff. And, and then she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And, and of course this was rehearsed. And so jokingly he pulls out this jar of pickles and he says, well, here, we've got a test and everybody laughs. And then she goes and she on air opens the jar of pickles <laughs> kind of like acts like she's taking a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit difficult mm -hmm. for her. And then she, ah, oh, I got it, you know. But what's hilarious is there wasn't the characteristic pop. Right. It was already open. Of and everyone, everyone on all of the blue collar, regular Americans out there have all opened their own jar of pickles. Apparently Kimmel, if it, if it was Kimmel, I'm, I got to look it up and make sure, but Apparently, those two had never opened their own jar of pickles and didn't realize that it was going to be so obviously fake because it didn't have the snap, the right. pop. The right. when you open a jar of pickles, yeah, it's like you seal. just won an arm wrestle or you, you know, you got a huge tax return or something. It's like, man, I got it open. Right. You know, it's you, you, you just defeated a major foe because sometimes <laughs> those jars of pickles can be pretty hard. But th that that was an interesting episode in American um, media history because it's like. This is absurd. We're we're watching an unreality. I think some uh, people are starting to see it. You know, some enterprising person created a a little uh, gizmo. We have one here in our house. It's like a rubber band, but it's thick and has a little slider on it. And on the inside of it is it's uh, ridged or uh, you know it has a little grippiness. And you you put that around your jar. Yeah, you, the lid, and then you tighten it grip. up with the slider, and so you've got a rubber grip on there that's on there tight, and that gives you a little more. It's called leverage. a it's called a strap wrench. If you've ever right. uh, done any auto work, you can get a strap wrench to take that right. uh, oil filter off of your car or anything round that you can't mm -hmm. get. You don't that you don't want to mar the edges of right. With or you, in some cases, you can't get a wrench on it because it's such a big diameter. Right. But. Uh, I've had to use a strap wrench on a jar of pickles before. Yeah. I, I was unconvinced. And it was Jimmy Kimmel, by the way. Okay. It was uh, August of 2016. Can't believe that didn't win her the election. <laughs> <laughs> it, was never in the, it was never in the cards. Again, another, another cartel, the, media, the, the mainstream government media. There's been some funny uh, pushback from, you know, uh, Elon Musk is labeled NPR and also the CBC Canadian Broadcasting Company. Yeah, for a little while there, they had a tag, right? I think they still do. Do they? But they've just. It was very funny. Uh, <laughs> Elon Musk labeled the CBC as a state-affiliated media, and they and they they came back. The 
CBC came back and said, less than 70% of our funding is provided by the Canadian government. So, so, <laughs> so changed Elon the changed the label to 69% state-affiliated media or yeah. something like that. Okay, so get this. If you Google up Twitter and NPR, you get NPR. They don't have the tag anymore. They're, I think that I read that Musk had taken the tags off of everybody and now they just pay for their blue check marks or whatever. So they've got a blue check mark, but NPR, you know, the late, the lady doth protest too much. Me thinks here, they've got this uh, silly header graphic that says always free and independent, always on NPR.org. I mean, that's just a blatant lie. Yeah. This is clear. This is <clears throat> American state funded television. Radio is, Public television, right? That's why it's we've all we've all known that forever. That there's a significant portion of their funding. Well, comes they do from they, the government. They also do their little uh, pledge drives, right? And try to get people to right. to chip in. But and we all know they're right, not independent. Right they're now, not independent. Right now, you're all picturing the typical NPR donor. You know, turtleneck, blazer, <laughs> jeans. <laughs> A short beard. Yep. And people who enjoy listening to programming that sounds a lot like this. Today, everybody, we're going to talk about the importance and the social uh, implications and impact of the songbirds of the American Southwest and how their songs are inherently racist. Their fight for social justice. What we can do to make the songbirds of the American Southwest non- or anti-racist. The roots of their racism lie in the colonization of the Mormon (laughs) pioneers. The pioneers arrived in Salt Lake City and colonized outward like a wagon wheel. They taught the birds to sing a song called Onward Christian Soldiers, which is a Christian nationalist anthem of genocide. <clears throat> I could go on. <laughs> you were going on. That's pretty good. That's pretty good right off the cuff. I'm like, I'm impressed at how I mean, what kind your, of pers- cre- your creative mind can come up with the songbirds of the Southwest and then link it to the Mormon pioneers. Somebody, Why do, it, you, it, why do you hate the pioneers, Bobby Flood? It, oh, I don't. <laughs> uh, but I do. The host of this show does you know if if that story if you got excited listening to that story maybe you need to donate to npr mm-hmm. well anyway like getting back to the flights on epstein's uh private jet i just got to read you this snippet from the detroit news because they were they spent most of their time talking about trump they want to they want to point out that trump traveled on there several times but then they could say this that's still fewer than former president bill clinton <laughs> who flew on Epstein's jet on at least nine different dates, according to the flight records released as evidence, and reportedly far more times than that. Yeah, here's the thing with... And then the, the, the extent of Clinton's travel on Epstein's flight was already reported, though. Here's the... Th- yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't pay any more attention to this. We just had to throw this in for fairness. The thing with Epstein, Epstein was a, was a, was a deal maker. I, I think he was probably a government asset. Um, there's a, a professor and mathematician named... Uh, He's the brother of uh, the professor that was run out of Evergreen College. What were their names? Um, 
Oh man, we've talked about him before. The professor and his wife that were run out of Evergreen College, um, Weinstein, right? Eric Weinstein is the brother of the professor. Eric Weinstein, I believe it was on the Joe Rogan show, um, said that he, he had the opportunity to meet Jeffrey Epstein. Brett Weinstein was the professor. Right. He, and Eric had the opportunity to meet Epstein in a professional environment, a, a, a business meeting, and was, was shocked at how incompetent he came across. Um, the Epstein came across incompet- as incompetent. Yeah, just had no, seemed to have really no clue what he was doing. He, this is a guy who'd met with professionals before and expected a certain level of, mm-hmm. you know, intelligence. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm going off a of memory here, and it's been a few years ago that this interview took place. And I want to say it was Joe Rogan. There was a time there before COVID that there was a, a movement called the Intellectual Dark Web. It had, uh, you know, it was kind of this loose affiliation with Eric Weinstein, Brett Weinstein, Jordan Peterson, uh, Dave Rubin, I think even Sam Harris before he self-imploded. But COVID kind of killed that, that movement. But basically, these guys were were sort of a conglomerate of people from the right, from the left, independents, libertarians, whatever, that were coming together and kind of pushing back against a lot of the woke stuff. By the way, shout out to Elon Musk, founder of Tesla, who shouted out us, talked about the woke mind virus again. He was specifically referencing the podcast, I think. I think he was. Yeah. Uh, so thanks, Elon. Uh, thanks for... Uh, uh, using us to to you know enlarge in your audience, we appreciate it. I think he gets most of his good ideas from the Mind Virus <laughs> show, but uh, you know that's just between us and him. We don't like to talk about that you know, right. too much. We don't right. want We don't want to feather our own nest, or uh, that's the wrong uh, metaphor. Put feathers in our own cap. Right. Anyway, in the before times, uh, you know this group was actually making some headway, uh, and then the COVID pandemic kind of wiped that out among other things but but Brett or uh, Eric Weinstein had kind of given some insight on on Jeffrey Epstein and I think it's important to remember that a lot of just normal people met this guy because he he was plugged into so many different circles and so I'm sure there's a lot of people who who met him who are innocent of any wrongdoings What's interesting is how many influential people met with him over and over and over. And remember, he was convicted in 2007 for sex crimes. So people were meeting with him knowing or should have known that, that, that hey, you know, you're meeting with a sex offender, right? Pretty high profile. <laughs> right. And it's a tangled web. And it's easy to run with conspiracy theories because there hasn't been transparency about this. And why should there be transparency? Well, because of, of the remarkable clientele that this guy had. Because we're talking about the most powerful and influential people in the country, if not the world, were tangled up in this guy's business dealings, which have been, I think, proven to be quite nefarious. And, and so what does it all really mean? Well. That's a good question, and we deserve as we deserve the truth as as the people who, you know, are lorded over by these. Handle the truth. Yeah, right. You want me on that wall? We're lorded over by these people, and uh, told to to look the other way, and to continue to finance these people's escapades through taxation and 
you know, monopolies on, on business and Monopoly capitalism, yeah. Regulation that keeps us out of the industries and them in it. And uh, we're just supposed to uh, not be curious about who these people are. Well, and the media blackout on this stuff is, it speaks volumes. It's, it's deafening. It's really loud. It is. And, and it's not the only thing, of course. We, there, you know, if, if the Mind Virus show is, is supposed to be a show about conspiracy or government corruption or whatever, we have no shortage of material to draw from. I mean, this stuff is just going on and on and on. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Right. Right. I mean, the, the, uh, the, uh, the reason why there's a media blackout or maybe a gray out, once in a while, there's a little bit of tidbits that come out. But nobody's really been held accountable except for Ghislaine and, you know, and even then it was, uh, it was very hush-hush. But the reason why people aren't being held accountable is that the people with the power to hold people accountable are part of the conspiracy. I mean, look at that. We're talking about here the, the current sitting director of the CIA. You don't think that person has some influence? There's a whole host of strings hanging off his ceiling that he can pull. <laughs> I mean, these are important, powerful people. Well, and not only that, that guy's been powerful for a long time. He was in the Obama White House. He was deputy secretary of state. Yeah. If you don't think that's a big deal, sorry. I mean... The State Department is, has been known as a, you know, for a long time as a hotbed of um, these activist types, the the members of the members of the Council on Foreign Relations, the you know, the the essentially the minions of the oligarchy, right there. That's where they live. I mean, one of the, the names, U.S. State Department. Uh, uh, he apparently had multiple meetings with the former Prime Minister of Israel. These are influential mm-hmm. people. This isn't just a guy, you know, who's wheeling and dealing on Wall Street or something. Like, he's he's met with some of the most influential politicians and business people in our in our country. And swirling around it are all of these uh, allegations, right? All of this evidence of some pretty nefarious activities that involve these people. We're not, we don't fight against armies and navies, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. It doesn't get any higher in our current society than these cartels, these, uh, these uh, upper echelons of government, media, business. It's like George Carlin said, it's a big club and we ain't in it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of not being in it anymore, what do you think of uh, the... Tucker Carlson exit from Fox. We never, we didn't really talk about that much. We we were on, we were recording while that story was hitting the news, and everyone speculated as to why they think Tucker got booted from Fox. I think it's pretty obvious. But what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, there's just another data point on the, <laughs> in the long list of data points demonstrating that there's a a very high level cartel-like mechanism of corruption and control that's, that's managing the perceptions of Americans. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge story. Like, let's, let's, 
keep the keep in mind that Tucker Carlson was the most popular cable news host ever. I think he is still the most popular. He's just no longer a cable news host. Right. He posted <laughs> a, a an independent video about thirty seconds long, and it got like tens of millions. Two and, of and views. a half minutes long. It got uh, within four hours. It had twenty four million views on Twitter. Right. And he posted it at the time <clears throat> that his normal show would have been released, and he right. would have gotten what, according to the Nielsen ratings, he would have had like 5 million watchers. It went viral. The thing just went nuts. Yeah, it's interesting. The same day um, Don Lemon was canned from CNN, um, probably, well, there's lots of reasons that could happen, but, but Tucker Carlson was the reason people watched Fox. All the other Fox hosts were basically barnacles on the side of his Titanic ship. Like, he was... He was he was Fox News, and they, they there's been speculation that it was because he was saying too much about too much. Um, he gave a speech a few days before he was fired. Um, you can go find that speech online. People are saying that was the last straw. Well, he had RFK Jr. on and talked about the vaccines. He the showed damage. he showed a lot of raw. Uh, J6 footage that the media was unwilling to show that basically destroyed the entire insurrection narrative. I mean, we, we were saying that on July, on <laughs> January 7th. Janu- January 6th, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. He hasn't really come out and said why. Maybe he will. But it, it's an interesting uh, development because, again, like Fox is, I think Fox is, is, is this Fox throwing in the towel and saying, we're not going to be controlled opposition anymore. Cause I think Fox news is, is in on everything as everybody else, but they had people like Tucker. Why did they settle with dominion voting systems for so much money? <clears throat> yeah, that's, that was almost a billion dollar settlement. I, th- the only thing I can think of is that there was incriminating material unrelated to it that was going to come out during discovery. Yeah, maybe. Because they're not, the, the, these, these organizations have very successfully been able to hide behind, you know, we didn't say that, or it was a guest that said it, or, uh, like the Nick Sandman stuff. He was able to get money from one of the outlets. CNN. Prob- but, but some of the other ones were able to successfully get that dismissed. You know, it's, a, it's hard to, tr- it's hard to uh, prove defamation. Right, and, and, and that's a story that just sort of was like, ah, oh, Fox News got fined, ha, 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 and then it was gone. Yeah. And, and so I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that there was incriminating evidence that would have, got, would have exposed Fox in a way that, they, that was um, damaging to the national control narrative, the, mm-hmm. the oligarchy's general direction here. And that's why they settled. And then they, it's like, I think we're I think we're at a point where things are about to happen. Like we've talked a lot about World War Three. I think that's coming. Uh, probably next year. Did we bring this up last time? Martin Armstrong has been out talking about how they're probably. This is the guy from Armstrong Economics. I really like him. I like his cycles analysis. I'm not saying, you know, we're going to just commit to everything. Armstrong said and say that's the gospel truth, but he's just got mm-hmm. some good perspective on the Russian thing and on, on business cycles being um, influenced by all kinds of international factors. And he's postulating that the, there's likely to be a war breakout before the next election because um, Americans are loath to switch 
presidents during elections. We've proven that over the past... During wars. Yeah. Sorry. They're, they're loath to switch presidents during wars. Sometimes you... <laughs> just speak it off the cuff is, is always tough. <laughs> you say stuff. Um, yeah. We have been historically loath to switch presidents during a war when the election comes up. And I, I think that Americans would totally switch off of Joe Biden at this point, even if alien, space aliens landed tomorrow. The problem is it's all about narrative control. So they're going to rig the election. The question is, how do they put the narrative out so that they can keep control of just enough of the population that they get what they want? Right. Because I'm sure they're happy to have chaos in the streets as long as they get what they want. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know that the, it turns out, it looks like the political conservatives, if we want to call them that, or just the, you know, the regular folk that are pretty grounded in common sense and reality. It seems like they're hard, they're, they're being hard. It's, it's, it's hard for the oligarchy to push them over the edge and get them to rebel. Like the January 6th thing was very clearly uh, a setup, a setup and orchestrated to try to trap conservative Americans. And they're having a really hard time. And they've, they've had a hard time ever since then selling the insurrection narrative just because it was very clearly not that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's too much video of people politely walking through the Capitol, uh, sort of parading, but with with police ex- escorts. So the public's not right. buying that narrative. But I think that uh, I think they're having a hard time getting the conservative right, if you want to call it that, to to break down mm-hmm. and rebel so that they can bring in the police state. So they're going to have to bring in a war. And it's very clear that you know people don't want to believe that the election is that rigged or that you know that we're in that dire of straits so if you give them an enemy and give them a narrative i think they'd be pretty happy to believe that instead of the darker reality that they've taken us to war they fomented the war right they rigged the election and now you're going to send your sons and daughters off to be killed. It'll be interesting to see what T- T- Carlson does next. And now that he's sort of free to speak as free as he wants to, what will he have to say? Uh, well, I guess we'll find out. There's been speculation that he's going to have his show on Rumble. There's been speculation that he'll work for somebody else. Uh, I think right now he's just hanging, hanging out. I'm sure Fox still owes him a lot of money. And probably pay him pay out his current contract. So there's a there are two Twitters for Tucker. One is Tucker Today, and one is Tucker Carlson. Do you know if he's already started a a thing called Tucker Today, or is that a longstanding? I have no idea, honestly. I didn't watch Tucker Carlson a lot. I didn't watch any news programs very often. I would see clips here and there, often on Twitter or wherever. But um, I'm not sure if he's already said what he's doing next. Okay, it looks to me like uh, Tucker Carlson today was in conjunction with the Fox Nation thing. Mm -hmm. He's still got like the Fox News, Fox Nation stuff on. Is it his account or is that somebody that just... I'm guessing it's the producers. I'm guessing that's a Fox account. Uh, The last post was was April 18th. 
So that's probably a remnant of his old job. Mm-hmm. I think he w- he's interesting because, and, and he's a rallying point because he's essentially the most public high profile voice out there that that's left in the mainstream. And so everybody goes to that. And then once that's gone, are they just out of the space? I mean, does the oligarchy expect the everybody else to just ignore that there's all this independent media on the web? Yeah, I, I don't. It's an interesting. Again, it makes no sense from any standpoint from for Fox to do this, unless there was something that hasn't been revealed yet that that would warrant him being fired. And I would assume that if that were the case, they would have said... Oh, they would have made a big deal out of it. Already. They would yeah. have said, we were letting him go because he breached his contract by doing X, Y, and Z or, or whatever. Or he said this or he mistreated... And like, There's a woman trying to sue him for a hostile work environment. Who's never even met him. Turns out she didn't work for him, has never met him. Like, it's yeah. like... <laughs> what? It's like, it's ridiculous. Like... So I, I don't know. It, it's an interesting little tidbit, kind of a, a canary in the coal mind, a racist songbird, by the way. Um, a, a little canary in the coal mine um, of the larger, I guess, intentions of, of the oligarchy. Maybe, maybe we'll see, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's a, a precursor to what is is to come with mainstream media. Maybe they're consolidating. I mean, th- th- like you said, this is basically the only independent-ish voice in the mainstream press. Right, and it took him a while to get to all of these uh, right. things. And I think they they ran into a guy with principle, and he then instead of instead of conforming, he goes off the reservation, so to speak, and talks about the, the, the difficult topics that he wants to talk about, which, of course, they can't have, so they get rid of him. Right. They let him go for a long time, though, so there's something had, right. there, the there who, had why, to be a line that he crossed. Right, the who, why, and why now. Well, maybe there wasn't a line that he crossed. Maybe it was just time. Maybe. And that's why I bring up the whole World War III scenario, because if, if they're just going to take us to war, that's when the government will take command control of everything. You, you guys... I've said it before on the program, but you, we don't as a culture realize the type of control that the government asserted over the people in World War II. In fact, it goes all the way back to the Civil War. Lincoln is famous for throwing journalists in jail. War between the states. That's right. The war between the states. Thank you for the correction. <laughs> it goes all the way back to that, that, that powerful people take matters into their own hands and they, they basically shut down all dissent because we have a war and that's the rationale it's like well there's a war we all is fair in love and war (laughs) and when when the united states has had a declared war those uh, emergency powers are then available to the government we've and we've just barely gotten a small taste with the coronavirus episode of what the government can do or can get away with and for a long time during an emergency, a declared emergency. So I think that's a possibility is that we're that close. They just, it's like, well, 
we're just going to take Tucker off the air right now. And then next year we do this Fox news. We will uh, like Alex Jones. He, he gave a lot of interesting reasons for it, which were fairly general. It was sort of an all of the above was mm-hmm. why Tucker was fired. But because again, it makes no sense. You don't fire your, you don't kill the goose that laid the golden egg. You right. don't fire your top, the top cable news host of all time. So, he said, you know, they'll probably just buy out Rupert Murdoch. Murdoch is old. He'll sell it. They'll, they'll pay him billions, you know, $60, $70 billion or something for the network. He walks away with all the cash. The network just crumbles and nobody cares because the bankers are just making the money out of thin air or whatever. They, or they got it through the repo mechanisms or through the Federal Reserve or something. And some, some bank and a bunch of investors will take the fall there for the billions of dollars. Or maybe the taxpayers will take the fall. They'll get bailed out. But they they just are going to fold Fox or morph it into another MSNBC or something. I mean, they could, I'm sure they could um, string Fox along for a long time, meaning keep it, keep it running just by having the corporate, the, the, the regular crowd of corporate advertisers just continue to advertise there. And, um, well, the, the big advertisers are big pharma. Well, they're all tied into the same big oligarchy. Big, big weapon. <laughs> right. Military, industrial, medical, uh, technological complex. So, so anyway, if they, maybe that's how Rupert Murdoch cashes out and Fox just becomes another MSNBC. And then um, we're at war. And it doesn't matter because the government just tells everybody what to think at that point. And if you, if you disagree, we have the emergency powers to shut you down because it's now far more serious than coronavirus. I mean, just imagine if a nuke went off anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, outrage or the, the energy, the almost probably a euphoric unison type of a... <laughs> exclamation of anxiety what what am i looking for there's a word here this is the the whole all western society wherever the nuke goes off it's going to be it's going to pit west versus the east mm-hmm. and the west will in unison rage cry out you know the same narrative and we'll all oh, be forced that, to hate them and they'll cry out the same narrative yeah it's the, like it'll east. be like a two minutes of hate <laughs> for six yeah, Orwell's, months yeah but what you'll see is the the news people, the talking heads in the news, the bobbleheads, the government types would would love that. They want nothing more than that. And there'll be all of it, all kinds of invented details about who it was and where <clears> it was. We, we'll never know because how are we supposed to know where the right. where the missile came from? By the way, in our predictions episode, I predicted the Utah Jazz would finish this season with a, a record of around 500. Mm-hmm. They finished this season with a record of 37 and 45, so I'm, I'm, I missed on that. You missed on that prediction. I mean, a little close, but they were a little below 500. At the time, they were doing really well. Which yeah, it was I always unsustainable, I think. That, but that was kind of your point, was they're not going to be winning 75% of the games. But uh, anyway... Just thought I'd follow up on our predict one of our one of my predictions. I know I was kind of droning on and on there. No, war war is not a no war. War is not a happy topic, but I I, I can't shake it. I think it's coming. I, it's just it's not a prediction. It's just a gut feel here. Well, it, it is coming. 
the question is whether or not we decide as a society, as humans, to avoid it. Because yeah. right now, all of the pieces are being moved. Yeah, the, prob- the problem rattling. is the, the, those decisions are above our quote-unquote pay grade. Right. As they say, as human beings, we're not the ones that get to decide that. It's the, it's the, right. we're, the we're the Eloy and the Morlocks are going to decide on that. And of course, I'm referencing H.G. Wells' time machine where there was a split society and the one, mm-hmm. the Morlocks basically fed off of the Eloy. Well, um, is this a good place to wrap up? I think it's a great place to wrap it up. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation a little bit more serious on current events today. We got some feedback from some friends uh, over the weekend. Thanks for commenting, guys. Uh, yeah, we could do a little bit better job being more prepared. <laughs> Truman, thank you for your <laughs> comments. He said we should uh, maybe review a movie more often. I'm thinking of uh, starting a sister program for those <laughs> who want to stay around after called the uh, Racist Incantations of the American Songbirds. <laughs> we will air uh, weekly episodes. We'll start off with the uh, uh, oppressive nature of the bald eagle and why it's a symbolism of the Ku Klux Klan. Because <laughs> both the KKK and the American bald eagle wear white hoods. <laughs> we did get some feedback on our books, books versus... Uh, Audiobook. Um, yeah, discussion. I think that was, was that Truman that kicked in on that? Whit- Whitaker kicked in oh, on Whitaker. this. Oh, Truman did make a comment. Uh, he's, he's, I think he said that, I'm forgetting because it was a conversation. I think he said that uh, he felt like reading a book was more um, effective at retaining the information. One other person pointed out that Usually you're, okay, this was Whitaker on the website. Reading a book is superior usually because you're listening to a book so you can do two things at once. That's a good point. But then he comes back and he says, okay, maybe I'm wrong on the reading versus listening. And he got some statistics. Right. Because we all, all know about statistics. I came across The Cone of Learning by Edgar Dale, which claims you remember 10% of what you read and 20% of what you hear after two weeks. I don't, this is a, it was, I play the radio. If you're listening, this was an honest question and not a rip on people who do audiobooks. <laughs> I like both. I like both. The nice thing, see, I, I can't do an audiobook and just sit on the couch and, and listen to the audiobook. My mind will drift or I'll fall asleep. But while driving or walking or riding a bicycle, an audiobook is really good. Anything you can kind of do without a lot of thought. Yeah, I agree. Like driving down the freeway for six hours to go to wherever. Something like that works. But like if you're working at the house and your kids are interrupting you. Yeah, it doesn't you keep work. coming on and off. That, that's hard to stay with the flow of it. Right. But, if you're working yeah, but out. I also have been reading books and realized I've just been mindlessly reading and I don't know what's going on. And I have to go back a page or six to figure out because my mind, but my brain is different. My, my brain... Is is what they call scattered, <laughs> and I'll uh, my thoughts are scattered. I'll drift from thought cloudy. to thought quite quickly sometimes. There are no borders, <clears throat> no boundaries. They echo and they <clears throat> swell. It's a little Simon and Garfunkel for you. 
Well, everybody, thanks for listening today. Did we say the date? Yeah, it's May Day, Communist Revolution Day. Uh, yeah, the uh, traditional cross quarter, I believe, is on the 5th this week. So that would be the solar calendar day where the uh, the sun is in the quarter position between the equinox and the solstice. And that's an old Celtic holiday. We finally have some nice temperatures here. Yeah. Which is causing a lot of flooding. <laughs> Oh, you know what I heard? This would be the basis for a whole episode. I know we're trying to wrap up here, but I was listening to the radio. I think it was KSL News Radio, local communist radio station. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were doing all these ads for disaster disaster preparedness. Is it because of the upcoming floods? Or is it the KSL guys know something we don't know, like World War III is coming? Because they they were advertising for FEMA. They were advertising (laughs) for like... Uh, their own preparedness stuff, church preparedness stuff. It was like uh, probably they were doing both. public service announcements. I know there's been a lot of um, like sandbag filling service days around the Wasatch Front recently, and and I've seen videos of uh, like the Ogden River is flooded. I've seen rivers coming down people's streets. Of course, we've had some major damage to homes and streets, and so and it's really just beginning. I mean, the mountains are still really, really, really full of snow and the temperatures are, are rising rapidly. So I guess the, the moral of the story is uh, be careful what you ask for. Moisture. Moisture. You're going to have a lot of moisture. We're thankful for the moisture we have received. Because uh, the bottom line is a lot of this water that's going to come out of the hills is going to be wasted because there's nowhere to put it. Well, the Californians will gladly take it. I did next know, year. I, if I you did could learn, save it for next year, that would be good. I did learn that a bunch of water is being pumped out of Lake Powell, which has been notoriously low for many years, and headed towards Lake Mead. Right. They want to fill that one up for some reason. And maybe they're making room in Lake Powell as if there's not enough room for all of the flooding. And the, I, I have no idea. I don't know. The, the whole water management industry is mostly government and it's. It's kind of a mystery to me. But also they're, they're, they're claiming the Salt Lake, the Great Salt Lake is going to rise many inches this year. But it's still not enough to save the dying lake. <laughs> One of the main major reasons that the lake, the Great Salt Lake is dying is because the local songbirds are <laughs> stealing the water with their racist... Thirsty racism. Songs. Well, I, if, you, if you Google California flooding, there is definitely a lot of chatter about the potential for floods out there, but I don't think they've really seen it yet. Um, and, you know, we could have some here in Utah, but it'll be really interesting to see what happens in California. We'll probably get a, a left or a, uh, some sort of a hard turn on the climate religion, um, climate change guys narrative here after the floods, like those songbirds and Cow, farting cows and Bobby Flood <laughs> and his SUV, um, right. his excessive SUVing ways, causing those floods, causing atmospheric well, rivers and stuff. So we'll, pro- am, we'll probably they see don't that, call but, me Bobby Flood for nothing. <laughs> exactly, Bobby the <laughs> Flood, Bobby the Flood, <laughs> which is better than Spencer the Cox. But uh, 
but I do think we're going to, you know, I, we have yet to see it. It'll be interesting to see what happens over there. I'm not, if you're sensing a, like a gleeful anticipation in, in uh, Jordan Bruno here. No, I hope that regular people don't suffer too much because of the flooding, but I think they're going to get it and um, might be kind of entertaining. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. We will be back again next week with another episode of the Mind Virus podcast. Signing off.